This message is brought to you by ABC Church in Ammonford, West Wales. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org. Now that we've got the kids out of the way, we are going to really enjoy ourselves. So whether you're listening online or whether you're here, it's your first time with us, or you're watching out in the atrium this morning, we give you a warm welcome because we're going to turn to God's Word. Is this book exciting or not? I think this book is incredibly exciting, but as well as that, we can open this book in a boring way, or we can open it in an exciting way, with anticipation, looking to what's inside it. So how many of you want a boring morning? Good. How many of you want a great morning? So let's have a right attitude as we come to God's Word now. Let's listen to it if we can, and take it in, suck it in. Because this stuff will change your life. Because what I want to talk to you about this morning is the subject of believe or belief. How many of you here believe? Hands up. Okay, those of you that think you don't, put your hands up. Because I tell you, we all believe stuff, don't we? And so we're going to look at that in a moment. The text that God's laid on my heart for you this morning, I've got two scriptures I want to share with you. And they're a bit unusual, but stay with me. Believe it or not, we are going to have some fun as we turn to the scriptures um, this morning. The scripture that God's laid on my heart is Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1, first of all. This text, young people, is over 700 years, sorry, 700 years before Christ. So this text that we're looking at, that's written in God's word, is two and a half thousand plus years old as we turn to it this morning. And 700 years before Jesus Christ ever came to be on the face of the earth. And the Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet is foretelling that Jesus will come. And this is what he writes to begin in Isaiah chapter 53 verse 1. He says, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Who's believed our message? And to who has the arm of the Lord been revealed? What do you think of my arm, guys? Is that a good arm? It's small. It's all a matter of perspective. The closer you are to it like I am, it looks massive from here. Okay? So that's a big arm. Look at this. Isn't that a good arm? Who else has got an arm? I'm going to pick on somebody uh, here this morning. So Joe, give Joe a big round of applause. Come out here, Joe. Fantastic. Give Joe a big round of applause, everyone. As you can see, Joe is bigger than me in many aspects of life. He's taller than me, isn't he? Not that hard. Yeah, that's not very difficult. He's got a larger brain than me. Not that hard. Yes, yes. (laughs) Because did you know, Joe, that your brain is the largest it ever is when you were born, and then it shrinks over time? How many of you know that? So because you're younger than me, that's why your brain is larger than mine. Okay? Uh, And what is your arm looking like? Show me that. Give me, give me. Give me, go for it. Show me those biceps. Okay, do you notice something about his arm? This is, first of all, his right arm. And I have just revealed to you his arm. When we read this passage of scripture, when Isaiah the prophet here is saying, Have you received the message? Have you believed the message? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Do you know who God's arm is when you read it in Scripture? God's arm is referring to Jesus Christ. So whenever you read the Bible, you'll see the arm of the Lord or the hand of the Lord. You'll see it all the way through Scripture, Joe. It's really interesting, isn't it? Just nod. (laughs) Speaking about the arm of the Lord. 
And so today, the arm of the Lord has progressed over time because 4,000 years ago, do you know how we would greet each other? I don't know what's going on in society at the moment. I don't know what's going on. Young people here in the front row, I don't know what is going on at the moment because when I walk in, I see Aaron, okay? And I don't know whether to fist bump him or to hug him. I, I don't What? You're just messing the system up. Okay, so I could come. Some of you leave me hanging. That's really embarrassing. I go in and I go like that, and you go, and you go like, one if. It's like, what's going on? You know, you're right. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> but this is what a handshake looked like 4,000 years ago. Before the time of Christ, do you know what the handshake would look like? When we would greet each other, we would greet each other like this. Do you know why we would greet each other like this? Because most of us are warriors, and if I'm coming peace, and I'm coming in friendship towards you, you want to know that there's no weapon in my hand. So the way that I would come and I would approach you, I would come like this and I would greet. But if we were Roman centurions, okay, back just before the time of Christ, what we would do is there'd be a bit of combat and camaraderie around the arm. See, so what would happen is I want my soldiers to eat first before your soldiers. And so as we come and we would greet one another, I would seek to push your hand down. And if I successfully pushed your hand down, I would have what we call today, that's what it, the, the, where the phrase comes from, to have the upper hand. Do you know that? To have the upper hand comes from me pushing you down. Yeah. And so you've learned something today, isn't it great? Yeah. There we are, so we believe some stuff today. Yeah. Or if you won, it would go like this. And so what's happened over time is this has now developed to become this handshake that we have today. Now, I've just got to give this lesson here for all of you, because there's some people in church, I greet lots of you at church, both before and after the service. And when you reveal your arm to me, you don't do it properly. In fact, some of you here, and I've just got to single out Ian here. Ian, you've got to sort your handshake out, mate. <laughs> you... You'd, uh, Ian gives you what's called the four droopy sausage handshake. <laughs> and so what he does, he comes along and, he sh and it's like that. Like, th that's not a handshake. That, I don't know what it is. But when you shake your hand, you must take this part of your hand, approach straight off, and put it straight in the hand and give it a good pump. One, two. Fantastic. So can you turn to the person next to you this morning? Can you shake them by the hand? But before you go, before you go, see, look, all of you are gone already. Before you go, I want you to shake and I want to pump the hand. Okay, go for it. Go one, two, three. And I want you to keep pumping until I say stop. So turn to the person next to you. Shake the hand. Pump the hand. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Stop. Okay. So can those of you who shook your hands like this, people have gone for the upper hand, can you raise your hands? Oh, look at that. We've got all these domineering people in church. And can those of you who are like that and you haven't got the upper hand anymore, can you all kind of just crawl into your chair? <laughs> and those of you that are neutral, that are like me and other people that are just confident, you're just a straight handshaker and you didn't go for either. How many of you are those? Can you give Joe a big round of applause as he takes the seat? So the arm of the Lord... Jesus Christ has been revealed to us. And what Isaiah is saying is, who's believed our message? Have you seen the arm of the Lord? Have you had a discovery or have you uh, had this experience with Jesus Christ to actually meet him in that way? So very much like a handshake, Aaron, that I come to you, Look, that's a great answer. Ian, you need to have lessons off of Aaron <laughs> on how to shake hands. That's fantastic.
But our hands are some incredible things that we use in all kinds of ways in order to bring authority and influence. You see, as we use our hands to talk and communicate, and you see this kind of natural thing that I quite often do with my hands, we use our hands to talk, don't we? We use a lot of it to express things. And if I was Andrea this morning, my hands are like all over the place walking because Andrea is, uses her whole body to talk. Her legs, everything, doesn't she? And Ian sits there and speaks with authority. But he raises his arm, doesn't he? No, few of us can actually talk. My, uh, my pastor and my good friend, uh, Ivan Watkins, for years, and father-in-law, if you tied his hands together, I'm sure he wouldn't be able to speak. <laughs> and sometimes you'd say to him, like, sit on your hands, and he just couldn't do it because he needed his hands in order to communicate. But when we use our hands, I want to explain to you, first of all, the arm of the Lord and how it's used, and how he speaks, and how he communicates. Because when we use our hands, and you use your hands to communicate, there's power in body language, isn't there? Some of you here today are like this, and defensive. Look at you. I can see you already. A couple of you. Impress me. Some of you are leaning forward, keen to listen. Some of you are smiling. Some of you are glued on me. And others of you are already snoring away. Because depending on the interest and depending on my body language that I use here, is depending on how I engage you. And when Jesus came to earth, the arm of the Lord was revealed. I want to show you how Jesus communicates. You see, when we talk, we can communicate with a group like this in three different ways. And I'm going to explain to you, and I'm going to use the same things now just to communicate to you. And I just want you to observe for a minute. And those of you that are all theological and doctrinal with me, bear with me in a second, because we are going to get into God's words, and I'm going to bring this some relevance to tie it all as we look in Luke's Gospel um, shortly. But when we communicate, and when Christ communicates with us, he does so with confidence. With confidence. I explain to you how that works. You see, is what happens with this hand as it develops? Do you know that there is more uh, connections between your brain and the palms of your hands than any other part of your body? Your hands are some incredible things that are used in different ways for us to do so many things with in our lives, aren't they? Remember that Sunday school song, song we used to sing, Be careful, little hands, what do you do? Because your hands get up to all kinds of trouble. But your hands not are... A an unique communications device that we use to achieve so many different things. And that's why the arm or the hand of the Lord in the person of Jesus Christ is so powerful as a metaphor or as an illustration for us when it comes to belief. And that's why I believe the prophecy, the, uh, uh, Isaiah the prophet says, who's believed our message? Who's the arm of the Lord been revealed to? And that's how I'm going to finish this message in a few moments and challenge you. Do you believe in Jesus and has his arm been revealed to you? So, we're quite a number in church this morning. So can you imagine that we were so full this morning as we were about two, three weeks ago that I needed all of you to do me a favor. So I want you to listen carefully while I use some body language here now with you and I want you to observe what I'm going to do as I speak to you here this morning. So I'm going to give you some instructions now. I don't want you to actually do the instructions. I just want you to listen and then we're going to take a quick survey to see how you feel about the instructions I've just given you using three types of body language. Okay? 
So you you ready to go over this? You ready to listen? Young people, ready? Ready? Good. Okay. So this is how we're going to do it. Can we imagine that we're so full here? So what I want to do is, all of you in the back four chairs that are there, would you be kind enough to come towards the front if you could? And if you could make your way and sit over here, there's some empty chairs over here. If you could sit over there, that would be fantastic. Could you see if you could do that for me? How many of you would be happy to respond to that request? Can you put your hands up? Come on, right up. How many have we got? Okay. Interesting. Did you notice how my hands were being used at the time? Did you notice it? My hands were being used in an authoritative way. But watch how the numbers go up now as I ask in an influensive, requestive way. This is bizarre. Watch what I do. I just turn my hands the other way and I give exactly the same instructions. Hi everyone, we're really full here today. I would really appreciate it if you that are at the back row there, uh, the four last rows, if you could make your way to the front over here, it'd be fantastic if you could just help us out with the seating. Now, how many of you are prepared to respond to that request? Put your hands up. Look, we've got so many more. Because that is done with influence. Done in a requestive way. Let me take you another way and ask again the same thing. Okay, we are really full here this morning, so can those of you that are in the back four rows there, if you can stand up right now, make your way over here and come and sit over here, that would be really good. So how many of you want to respond to that request? Put your hands in the air. God, look, we got two, because I'm using pointy fingers. So these things that are very, very, you know, they're just digits at the end of the day, but they are connected to our heart. The Bible teaches us that out of the mouth, the heart speaks. But we have so many of our, uh, the neurons that are connecting my brain to our hands, depending on how I feel emotionally, I will, if I lack confidence, I will feel that I need to dictate. That's what that finger does. It dictates. It says, I need you to do as you're told. I mean, if we were back in kind of 1939, serving uh, a big dictator at that time, can you imagine if, you know, Zichail was like that? It kind of wouldn't work, would it? But instead, he's using that to bring his authority as the greeting or as the Heil Hitler that would be there, face down in order to bring authority in terms of what he's doing. So I want to tell you, when the arm of the Lord is revealed to us, it doesn't come. Who's it was praying this morning? I think it was Liana you were praying. We come to the God who freely accepts us by his grace. He's not coming with a big finger on our hearts and souls and lives today. He's saying freely come, isn't he? What does Jesus say? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. But does he say it like that? Absolutely not. In fact, Jesus did the ultimate sacrifice like this, didn't he? And he gave his life as a ransom for us. So when Isaiah talks about Jesus who comes here in Isaiah 53, what he does is communicate a person who comes in confidence because he's the very Son of God. What his message is, you can accept me or not, who do you say that I am is his challenge. And Jesus comes in the confidence of who he is in Christ because he's come to serve the will of the Father, the servant king, 
doesn't need to come with big authority, doesn't need to come with a dictating finger, because he is Jesus Christ, the very Son of God himself. How cool is that? How cool is that? So that's how the arm of the Lord is revealed to us. It's revealed to us in the influence of Jesus Christ. So the question I want to ask you is, do you believe? What have you done with the information that you've received about Jesus Christ? What have you done with all the information that's in your head? Because our brain is basically like a filing cabinet. That's what it is. And it's full of all kinds of information that we contain in the filing cabinet in our head about loads of different things. I'm going to talk to you about five areas after we've looked at this passage of Scripture from uh, Luke's Gospel this morning, and I'm encouraging you to take the same journey that Luke took on this morning as we're uh, sharing from God's Word. And what I want to do this morning is for you to do an assessment of what's in your filing cabinet in your head. That's quite simply what we're all going to do together, and we're going to have some fun doing it together. Because in your filing cabinet, I could come up and I could open it today, and I could take one of the files out, and your file might have the word God on it. And this is all you believe about God. Does he exist? Doesn't he? If I were an atheist here today, my file on God might be totally empty because I don't actually believe that he exists, that he's a figment of my imagination made up. But did you know that over 70% of people that are in the Western world, in the Western world now, educated Western world, still believe in intelligent design or, or, or God, etc. So what I want to ask is, what's in your file? What kind of information have you got that's contained in your cabinet? There might be loads of different things as I flick through it. There's stuff here about family. There's stuff here about community. There's stuff here about conflict. There's stuff here on politics. There's stuff here about health and attitude to sugar and alcohol and is drug taking okay or not. There's, there's loads of stuff in this cabinet. And I want to ask what's in your cabinet. And that's what Luke did. You see, because in Luke chapter 1 and verse 3 and 4, we read this text that says this. And this is Luke, who's a doctor, and he is at the time of Jesus Christ. He existed at the same time. He's one of the disciples um, that, that was there at the time. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all wrote an account of what it was like to live alongside Jesus in those days. And so he came along and he said this, Therefore, since I myself have carefully invested every, investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good for me to, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So what he did, if we can go back to that one scripture again, if we can, he just says this, Therefore, I myself have carefully investigated everything. I'll say it again. I myself have carefully investigated everything. And that's what we're going to do this morning. A quick assessment of what's in your filing cabinet, what's in your brain, what's in your thought structure about lots of different things that we're going to talk about this morning. But before we get to the end of it, I'm going to talk about how we actually form the information that goes into the filing cabinet in our head. It goes on to say, does Luke, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. 
And hopefully at the end, if we achieve what we want to do this morning through the scripture, you will know of certainty the things you have been taught. Is that going to be cool? Okay, so can you say after me, not guitar, say etar. Etar? Etar. I'm going to introduce a word to you because do you know if your brain has fun, it's easier for your brain to learn stuff. Do you know that? So if we have fun with this etar, say etar. You will remember that just because we've gone etar, not guitar. Etar. Say with me etar. Etar. You will remember this now. And you know, during the week you'll go, what was that message on Sunday? And just because we've had a little bit of fun around the word etar, I'm going to explain to you what it means. Because there's five ways that we form belief. There's five ways the stuff gets into our filing cabinet. Can you shove the, uh, the final slide that we've got there as we run through these quickly together? You see, the first way that information gets into our brain and the first, way, the first ways that we learn and the ways that then we consequently believe stuff is through experience. How many of you know the fire's hot? Hands up. Yeah. You know, that phrase that your mum and dad used to tell you, did I tell you if you put your finger in the fire, would you do it? And, oh, for goodness sake. And I find myself using that phrase that I never vowed that I would never use. How many of us use stuff like that? But the reason we know that fire is hot and it burns is through experience, isn't it? And all these experience comes our way and it forms what we believe, whether fire is actually harmful for us or not. It's quite simple. Now, if you had particular disease that would prevent you from uh, your nerve endings to work, you would maybe not know that, and you'd have to come up with different uh, strategies in your mind because your nerve endings may be not working correctly in order to let you know that it's hot, and you could be burning away bits of your flesh without you knowing it. Do you know there's diseases like that that are on the face of this planet that people have to be careful what they do and how they behave? But experiences go further than that. Some of you will know from experience that if you leave the office on a Friday at 4 o'clock or you leave the office on a Friday at, say, 10 past, quarter past 5, you know which time you need to leave to get home earlier, don't you? Because there's some stuff that happens with the traffic. And all of you, based on the experiences that you have with the traffic, you then take kind of different ideas around it or different strategies, thinking, I'll try a different way home. I'll change the time. And, and we're very intelligent in the way our body and our mind works with experiences in order to get the result that we want. And so evidence is the big way that science proves things. Is through evidence, through observing things. But the problem with that is if you were not around at the time, it's difficult to get the evidence. We saw this week a World War II bomb being exploded uh, in uh, kind of safety on the beach. And we hung around to see this thing happen. And I was thinking, why, how weird is that? I don't know if those of you who saw it on the news. is a, a bomb, that, a World War II bomb that was found in a garden in Black Pill. And it'd been there for years and years and years since, I don't know, 19, well, somewhere around kind of 1940 to 1945. That bomb had been in a, in a garden in Black Pill. And I tell you what, I've seen some gardens in the Ammonfield area look as if a bomb's already gone off in them. But anyway, that's another story. So they took this bomb, put it onto the beach, and then they kind of got rid of it. Now, I observed that. I can tell you that it's happened myself because I saw it. I was there. Some of you might have seen my daughter Sarah had picked it up on Facebook and put it up on Facebook. So hands up, uh, those of you who saw it on Facebook from my daughter Sarah. Whoa, 
she's got more followers than me. Okay. Uh, and how many of you didn't see it at all? Okay, you didn't see it at all. Okay, so question. Am I lying about the whole experience? Have I just told you a tale? Well, the only way you can do it is to use a different, because you can't use experience as a way for you to believe that. Now you've got to look for evidence, or you've got to look for other things in order to make that work. So that's the way that science sometimes leads us down. Because when it comes to the f you know, what happened in creation back at the beginning, whether we believe in the Big Bang or you believe in a creation story or whatever version of it you come up with, the challenge with all of those theories is none of us were around at the time. So we have to come to certain conclusions with it, and it's in that case science really doesn't really help us. Because what we've got to do is we've got to look for evidence and we interpret it just like you did with a bomb right now. We have to interpret it in a different way depending on the source that it comes from, depending on how we want to come to the conclusions about it. But the bit that I want to get to you more importantly than anything is we need to use a strategy like Luke's to decide what we believe. And Luke said these two words, I myself. Now, I hope you're not one of these, what I call a stupid Christian. They're not stupid Christians in this church. Because stupid Christians are stupid Christians that just believe what everybody else says. Stupid Christians are people that believe what the pastor says. And I believe that a lot of what the pastor says does make sense. But some of it does not make sense even to the pastor. I believe that you should believe a lot of what Ian believes. And what Ian preaches. But don't believe it all. Because some of it is just Ian's opinion. In fact, you could get us together as leaders of this church. And five or six of us. And you could go through all our filing cabinets. And you'd be amazed how much we disagree on stuff. But what we have got to do. When it comes to who we believe in Jesus. And who we believe when the arm of the Lord has been revealed to us. We've got to come to a conclusion about that. Young people, you have to decide who Jesus is. Are you going to believe the report? Are you going to believe the message? And are you going to do what Luke did, which is say, I myself have investigated these things and come to a conclusion? Because the second way that we learn and we form belief is through tradition. In fact, when I uh, walk up to, uh, what's Chris Saldo? Eh? Remember that. Why did you just shake my hand when I put my hand up to you, well, towards you? Yeah, you just did it reactively, didn't you? Do you know why that is you did it? Because it's a tradition. That's why you did it. Because I come and I put my hand out towards you. And as I put my hand out towards you, you will just naturally come and shake my hand. In fact, if you go on YouTube and go handshake fails, you can see some cracking videos. I was going to use some this morning, but we can't for the sake of time. Of people that have been left hanging, people that have done all kinds of uh, things. So Google later on. In fact, I might put it on my Facebook later. Handshake fails. But we do certain things because of tradition. Now, if you were brought up in a different tradition, if you were brought up in the Bronx in New York, I mean, we would probably come up to each other and do all kinds of weird fist-pumping stuff that we would do. Or the one that catches me out, I was left hang hanging. Glenn Chaplin, if you listen to this, this message online, you left me hanging on Friday night when you came round the house. Because I walked up to... In fact, come here, Lewis, you help me. So you walk towards me, okay? And... Uh, you love me like Glenn with so much care and affection <laughs> that what you do is your natural way to come towards me is to give me a big hug. So you walk towards me like Glenn did with a big hug, right? I, wait, one second, when I say three, okay? 
Right, don't go too early. And then I'm going to come in with me because maybe, don't judge me, Glenn, I didn't feel the same kind of connection with you, so I came in with a handshake. So I'm coming to you with a handshake, you're coming to me with a hug, right? And I, so it went like this, go on, three. <laughs> and it was all kinds of embarrassing. Give Lewis a hand as he sits down. All of this stuff is tradition. It's tradition. And we can get things into our brain about God based on tradition. I'm not saying it's good or bad, but you yourself have to come, come, come to some conclusions about who God is and his place in the world for you. In fact, can I ask a question? How many of you, in fact, I can't say women anymore because men are becoming really good with culinary skills these days because most of you I know as men here are really, are really good chefs. I know Mark, Mark here does cake bake-offs on a regular basis. He normally loses them, but there we are, that's another story. So uh, when it comes to gravy, ladies and gentlemen, how many of you, hands up, those of you who use Oxo cubes or Bisto or that kind of, kind of additive type thing, come on! Come on, because we know you're busy and you're the type of people that haven't got time to make your own gravy. Okay, so put your hands down. Those of you like my mother that's here's mum in the house this morning. Yes, I can see mum over there. How many of you do gravy with getting all the fats from the... Oh, look at it. Oh, there we are. And putting it all together. And you've got to grab some of the vegetable juice as well and put some of that in. Do you do that as well? Yeah. Do you put salt in it as well? Oh, yeah, look at that. All of that unhealthy fats and everything that go into it. But I've got to say, ma'am, nobody makes gravy like ma'am makes gravy. So how many of you, because this is the test factor, how many of you even put flour in the gravy? Oh, look at that. Because ma'am puts flour in the gravy. I don't know how she does it. But my wife, Ruth, does gravy the bisto way because she's always busy. So when I ever go to mum, singing, oh, oh. Whenever I've had a good mum's, nobody makes gravy like my mother. Don't judge me, Ruth. Okay, it'll be till the day you die. I die. My mother has got this tradition that's been passed down from her. But they're just traditions. There's no right way or a wrong way to make gravy. You might have the opinion about it. Gravy is just gravy. Just chill, for goodness sake. And there you have just experienced the reaction that I was asked, looking for, which some of you think quite strongly that there's a certain way that gravy should be done, isn't there? I could hear you there. <laughs> some traditions, so listen to me, key point. Some traditions are great traditions because they're wholesome traditions. Husbands, love your wives as a command, but as well as as a great tradition. Love your kids, dads, mums. Put them first. Spoil them. <laughs> Do what, love on them. Put your children. Those things are good traditions. But the traditions about parenthood and stuff that we should maybe lose. When we're talking about the way that we fatten our kids up and obesity and everything else, like that, we need to be careful and just not let our children just eat anything. We've got to teach them what's good and what's healthy for them. So when it comes to tradition, that's really important. Thirdly, the way that we learn, ETAR. Say it after me. ETAR. So E for evidence, T for tradition, A for authority. So our parents are big authority figures in our lives, and 80% of what you believe comes from your parents. That's what psychologists tell us. So 80% of how you are formed, and your mind, and when you get to the teenage, the age that you guys are at this moment in time, you start to come and have different opinions. And so those of you that are parents here, uh, those of you that have not come to the teenage years yet, look out. 
because when it, they get to the teenage years, they form their own minds and their own opinions about something. And they won't follow now out of blind tradition. They will want to do their own thing. I can't believe I'm saying this when I've got two teenagers here this morning. Bring it on. Because I tell you what, part of changing the church and changing the kingdom is where we have young people that are passionate to stand up against some false traditions that we've had in church that need to change in order to make the message or the arm of God relevant to our society today. Amen? Amen. And those of us that are maybe a bit older and we're stuck in our ways, we need to teach them all of what we can about how to learn and how to handle scripture and how to take the word of God and take the arm of God and apply it to their lives and the context of their culture in order to be relevant to it to win a generation for Christ so that we don't lose another one because we've got to wear hats on Sunday or we've got to sit down and do church in a certain way or we've got to do this that and the other church is allowed to be fun isn't it because God is a God of fun he must have a sense of humor. He made me. God is a God of fun. And so often laughter and joy and all of those things are a million miles away from the way that we do church and community. So we learn through authority. You learn from authority figure that might be in your school, a teacher that has come and taught you some key things. All of us have got one teacher in our lives, isn't it? Isn't it strange? All of us have got one teacher that had a huge impact on us in our lives. But we learn from association as well, from our friends. And this is the one that's the most concerning to me at this moment in time. Ian spoke the other, other week and he was talking about uh, young people and their development at the moment. And he talked about the generations and he named a few of them, millennials in particular, uh, those that are uh, in teenage uh, years right now, and then those that are born from 2000 uh, onwards, Generation Z. Both millennials and Generation Z as a culture or as a group of young people don't turn to authority figures for advice primarily. People like me that were Gen X, we would go to father figures or uncles or granddads in our lives in order to get advice about the world, the life and everything. Because nobody asked their mum and dad for advice, do they? What kind of loser goes and does that? We all didn't know. It. Our, our, our mums and dads, when we were teenagers, were the most out-of-touch people in the world. So we rarely would go to them. What would you? Come on, be honest. Be honest. Okay, not being honest. So what we used to do, what my generation did, is we would turn to other authority figures in our lives. But what millennials and Gen Z do is they turn to their associated friends, their peers, and they ask them for advice. And the problem is a lot of the time they're kind of working it out for themselves too. And that was, that's what's leading to a lot of dysfunction that we see happening in society at the moment because they're all taking advice of the wrong people because there isn't that body of knowledge in terms of what they believe. And then finally, and we see this in Luke chapter 1, because the first thing that uh, Luke does is to go on and give us an account of actually what happened through revelation. He goes on to talk about and list an account of Zechariah, who was a priest in the temple, and how uh, angel Gabriel appeared to him and said that his wife was going to have a baby and that John the Baptist would be born. And then further on, we need another uh, account of a revelation of uh, the angel appearing to Mary and telling her that she would have a child. And that's recorded for us in history for us to read it today. So revelation is a big part also of how we believe what we believe. Can I ask a genu very genuine question here? How many of you here in the room have heard the audible voice of God or you feel God 
particularly speak to you just as a just as a poll come on hands up don't be embarrassed about it so you got one two three four five six seven eight of you that have heard can i just tell you you're enjoying an experience that i have never had myself i have never heard the audible voice of god in that way so you have a privileged revelation that has come to you remember brian Ayres, a, f- a friend of mine that attends another church he was saying that he was in the cell and God spoke to him and told him to go open the Bible and he started reading it. Just like, wow! And God comes to some people with these kinds of revelation. I can't explain it. But to you, it is totally real. I don't know if you've been eating some cheese on the time or you've been smoking something or whether it was actually something that really, really happened to you. All you know through evidence because you were there you know what happened to you so all we have to do is take all these five bodies of evidence so ETAR through ETAR taking this on board and coming to rational conclusions about the message that we have heard so can I close by asking you to do two things for me first thing I'd like you to do is to learn like everyone that I've seen in the Bible whether it was Moses whether it was Jacob, whether it was the early disciples, they all fought or wrestled with the truth. They all had a theology that was like Luke's, where he said, I myself have investigated these things. So can I ask you, off the backdrop of what you've just heard now for 15, 20 minutes, can you just delete what you've heard? Just start afresh and ask yourself, what's actually in my filing cabinet? The filing cabinet that maybe says Christianity on it. Or the file that says God. The file that says Jesus. The file that says Holy Spirit. The file that says communion or baptism or whatever it is. I want to ask, what kind of data is in there? Or is it empty? Is it empty because you yourself have not done any investigation? Because maybe we've believed in the tradition of what we've been told. Maybe we've believed in the authority of a teacher that said, how could you believe in Christianity and creation? It's, you know, science is the answer. There is no God. Big bang, monkeys, all of that kind of story. That's how we came to be. Because maybe you're sucker enough to believe for the authority itself. Please, please don't be a dumb Christian. Because stupid Christians just believe everything and anything. What healthy, rational Christians, the kind that come to ABC do, is we take the body of evidence from history, from tradition, from authority, from all kinds of accounts, and we are passionate, aren't we, Ian, about finding the truth and about getting to the bottom of it. And any Christians that speak heresy and talk anything about the load of rubbish, about Noah's Ark, does it exist, or isn't it, where is it? I don't know. Okay, I really don't know, but I will begin to study and research on it if it's needed. But we need to wrestle with this stuff in order to form our belief on these things so that we can truly, truly believe. First thing I want you to do is to investigate. Become a private investigator yourself and look into these things. But the second question I want to challenge you with is this. Do you believe the message? Because you might be a person that's come to church several different times. You've got your own kind of belief system that you've formed over time. 
as you are dismantling or over the course of time as you've been maybe unlearning things as you come to this place or learning things as you sit um, under so much of the teaching and preaching that comes to this place are you now in the place that you've dismantled maybe some of your traditional teaching and your authoritative teaching and experience and you've put it together and now is the time for you today to believe because you like Luke have come and you know now of a certainty because if you know of a certainty what happens is our whole communication style changes and we're back where we started from we no longer communicate like a dictator we can too communicate like Jesus and we communicate with open hands upwards that says the cross doesn't need defending because it stands in the power of itself and whether you want to believe what I am saying and teaching to you this morning, do you know what? That's your problem to look into it. Because I tell you what, I believe confidently, confidently, that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and that he came to earth and he died for me to redeem my life from destruction and that one day he's coming back. Can we sing that song to close? If Paul's uh, here, I want to sing the, the Hillsong song, I believe if we can I love, I love that song and uh, we've been um, singing that a lot together but as we come can we declare this morning from this house we believe in you Jesus who's believed the report who's believed the message I do I do is that you if that's you then I'm giving you the opportunity today to just bow your heads come on whether you're in the atrium this morning or whether you're here in the auditorium or listening online just bow your head this morning with me and let us come to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Yield to him and say this simple prayer. Father God, we thank you for the words of the prophecy of Isaiah that have come to us. That we can believe the report. And we can see and discover and experience for ourselves the arm of God revealed to us through Jesus Christ. Lord, you reached out from eternity and put your hand into our world through the cross of Christ to redeem us to yourselves. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you came. I want to accept you this morning. I want you to come into my life. I want you to change and transform me. I want you to take the junk that's in my filing cabinet, get rid of all that stuff that is stinking thinking that has no part in my life anymore. Because my mind is now transformed by the renewing of my mind through the work of Jesus Christ. I accept you. Come into my heart and life today. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, come see me. I'll be in the guest area uh, before you um, leave this morning. But I'd love to give you some information and a Bible that you can take away with this. But do you believe, church? Do you believe? Let's go forward in, in faith. This message was brought to you by ABC Church. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org or search for us on Facebook or Twitter. You can also contact us by phone on 01269 596000.